Hello, and welcome to A History of Hannibal. Episode 11, The Siege of Lillaby, Part 2, The Fleets. After spending so much time trying to break into the city of Lillaby by force, it was incredibly disheartening for the Romans to lose all their siege weaponry. Rather than rebuilding their weaponry, they settled down for a long siege. This is where we resume the story. As many sailors had lost their lives in the struggle so far, the Romans decided to recruit 10,000 more and send them to Sicily, where they were placed under the command of the new consul, Publius Claudius Pulcher. Pulcher thought that Adherbal, who you'll remember from last week was the Carthaginian admiral, had suffered significant troop losses and so would be unable to man the fleet. Therefore, Pulcher wanted to strike while the iron was hot and attack Adherbal at Drapana. The army loved this idea. Many volunteered for the expedition, as it would only be short and there were great prospects of great rewards. The very best men were chosen, and things were ready. The fleet set out at midnight, and hugged the coast as they moved to Drapana, reaching their destination around daybreak. Adherbal was shocked to see the Romans bearing down upon him, but he quickly realised he needed to act if he were to stop Pulcher trapping him. He summoned his troops on the beach, and told them they needed to attack now, and be victorious. They were to get aboard their ships immediately, and follow his lead. They did just that. This action took Pulcher by surprise. Expecting the enemy to not dare attack, he was shocked to see them getting ready for battle just outside the city. He accordingly changed his plans. Rather than sailing for the harbour, the Romans were to sail into the open sea to meet the threat. This was fine for Pulcher, at the rear of the fleet, but those further forward had already entered the harbour. The ships in the harbour tried turning around, only to be met by those who hadn't the distance to turn and were also sailing into the harbour. In short, there was much confusion as the two fleets lined up on the coast, the Romans facing the open sea, the Carthaginians facing the land. The two fleets moved closer together. Pulcher on the extreme left of his fleet, which was slightly outflanked by the Carthaginians. The fight was quite even at first, but the superior technology of the Carthaginian ships and the superior training of the Carthaginian sailors began to tell. Due to their superior speed, and their location facing the coast, the Carthaginian vessels were much more manoeuvrable than the Roman ones. The battle soon turned from mild Carthaginian advantage to Carthaginian dominance. Pulcher fled with 30 ships, and the remaining 93 were captured by the Carthaginians. The reactions the two generals received at their home cities says much about how the battle went. Adherbal 
won a high reputation at Carthage, while Pulcher was a national embarrassment. He was abused for being careless, reckless. He was prosecuted and heavily fined for his actions. He barely escaped the death penalty, but died shortly afterwards, possibly by suicide. That Pulcher lost should come as no surprise to any of you. The tale of Publius Claudius Pulcher, and of the sacred chickens, found in Cicero, is one of the more famous stories from the ancient world. Before the battle, Pulcher consulted the sacred chickens. Grain was scattered for the sacred chickens. If the birds ate the grain, it was a good omen. If they did not eat, it was a bad omen. The sacred chickens did not eat. Rather than do the logical thing and pull out after sailing for hours to launch a surprise attack, Pulcher continued with his assault. What was done with the sacred chickens, you ask? They were thrown overboard. Pulcher is said to have remarked that if they were not hungry, perhaps they were thirsty. While this defeat marked yet another horrific naval disaster for Rome, Rome would not give up. They would try and try again. Pulcher's colleague, Lucius Junius Pullus, was to take command of sixty ships and supply the besieging force at Lillibium. He soon received reinforcements and had 120 warships to protect the transports. While at Syracuse, Pullus sent half the transports and some warships under the command of several quaestors to Lillibium, while he stayed behind, awaiting further corn from Rome's allies at Messana. While the Romans were busy making plans, the Carthaginians were not sitting idly by. Adherbal sent out his colleague Carthalo with thirty ships to capture as many Roman ships anchored off Lillibium as he could. Carthalo complied, setting fire to a number of Roman ships, carrying others away. The Romans began to panic, and tried working out just what was going on. To add to the confusion, Himilco saw what was going on, and attacked from the city. Carthalo did not stay too long. He soon left, advancing east along the southern coast, intent on intercepting the Roman convoy bringing food. He found out the Romans were near, and was eager to attack. The Roman quaestors were not eager to attack. They found a sheltered spot by a nearby friendly settlement, and disembarked, and acquired defences from the fort. Catapults and whatnot. There was nothing to do but wait for the Carthaginians to arrive. The Carthaginians did arrive, and planned to blockade the Romans, who they were expecting to be in frayed and to hide away. Though, as we just saw with Pulcher, expecting the enemy to behave in a certain way is very dangerous. That and ignoring the sacred chickens is very dangerous. Just as Adherbal did not do what Pulcher expected at Drapana, the Quaestors did not do what Carthalo expected here. They bravely resisted instead. Carthalo retreated and waited for the convoy to sail on. Pulus, unaware of what had happened to the advanced force, 
sailed towards Lillibium, having finished off his business at Syracuse. Gothalo's scouts heard that the main force was moving forward, and so sought to meet them, before they could be reunited with the advanced force. The two forces sailed towards each other, but Pulis saw the Carthaginian force, and didn't want to face it. But he was too close to escape. Deciding that it would be better to face the weather than the Carthaginians, Pulis anchored by the coast, a particularly rock-bound and dangerous section of the coast. Carthalo didn't dare go after Pulis, instead sheltering on a much safer area of the coastline. Predictably, as though Mother Nature herself was insulted by Pulis's decision, the weather deteriorated. A heavy gale blew up. Carthalo listened to his Carthaginian pilots and fled to the other side of Cape Pacinus to safety. The Roman fleet had no shelter. The fleet was yet again destroyed. Pulis tried making up for the catastrophe by putting his efforts into the land war. He quite quickly managed to take the town of Irix and the temple of Venus, which lies between Panormus and Drapana, hoping he could use this to take the city of Erix and the mountain of Erix, which is the second largest on Sicily, after Etna, of course. The Carthaginian reaction was to appoint a new commander. Of all the men in our story so far, this introduction to the Punic Wars, we have at last come across one crucial to the story that is unfolding. We shall introduce this man in the next episode, when we shall also close out the First Punic War. This man was Hamilcar Barker. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like the show, why not visit the website, thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com. You can like the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the history of pod. Subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash the history of podcast. And send me an email, the history of podcast at gmail.com. If you wonder what history podcasters do when we're not podcasting or living our celebrity lifestyle, it turns out we're on Facebook. If you want to chat with us, share ideas, and the like, you can search History Podcasts into Facebook, and the group should turn up. This group features names such as myself, obviously, Jordan Harbour, Peter Adamson, Zach Twamley, Robin Pearson, Royfield Brown, Mark Shouse, Jamie Jeffers, Rob Kane, Finabra O'Debris, David Crowther, Ray Harris, and Lars Brownworth. Why wouldn't you want to hang around with us? Numerous ideas have come from this group, such as doing intros for each other's show. The History Podcast group is doing more than just introducing each other's shows, though. One idea that is currently in development is to do a history podcast together. I don't know what format it's going to be yet, or who will be involved, as we're only in the early stages, 
Myself, Zach Twamley, Jamie Jeffers, Jordan Harbour, Andre Harris are probably the most interested. So, why am I telling you this? Because I want to know what you think. Would you guys like to listen to that? What kind of show would you like? A Q&A with listeners? A show where we go through different historical topics together with debate? Perhaps a panel show with two teams competing against each other? Perhaps a panel show like QI? Or do you have an idea? We're all very keen to get listeners involved. Would you like to do that? So, yeah, please get in touch. Send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com and join the History Podcast's Facebook group. Thanks to Peter John Ross for the music and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you next week when we bring Hamilcar Barker into the story and close out the First Punic War. (laughs) 